Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, will it be possible for pubs to open before the 10th of August? So Google has released stats about what Irish people are asking the search engine at the moment. And you'll probably be very unsurprised to hear that the top result between the 1st and 4th of May was, when will hairdressers open in Ireland? And second to that was, when will pubs open in Ireland? Golf courses and pennies were also on that top five list. So we are nothing if not predictable. The roadmap for reopening society and business was published by the government on Friday the 1st of May. But obviously because of the nature of this crisis, there really aren't too many definitive answers even within that document. As was almost immediately clear when publicans came out with their own plan to show authorities that they could open earlier than the slated 10th of August date. So can this document actually tell us anything? Will things open earlier than it says? Or could they be even later than it says? To fill us in on all the possibilities, I'm joined by Michelle Hennessy, the Journal.ie senior reporter who has taken a lead on a lot of our coronavirus coverage, attending a huge amount of the nightly briefings with Dr. Tony Holohan and the Neffet team. Michelle, we did expect Friday to be an odd May Day, and so it turned out. Can you just give me a brief description of what this roadmap is meant to be? Like, what's its purpose and why was it published? Sure. So the roadmap is essentially the plan the government has, and it's quite a loose plan at the moment for easing back the restrictions that are currently in place. And this includes when businesses can reopen, how they can start to do that, as well as when we can start to see our family and friends or attend large social gatherings or engage in sporting activities. So there are five phases, the first starting on the 18th of May. But like I said earlier, it's a loose plan. So you have to keep in mind when you look at that, that things might move around within this. On Friday, the CMO, Dr. Tony Houlihan, said we could move through some sections of it faster than others. And we also could take a step back depending on how things play out. So it might change depending on the spread of the infection in the community. So that first date, the 18th of May, a lot of us are living for that date. Give me a couple of the highlights of how our life could change or not change on that day or in or around that day. Right. So, I mean, the 18th of May, which is phase one, is probably the one that is going to change the least because it's so close now. Um, they, they probably have a good idea of, of where we'll be once we get to that point. So from the 18th of May, um, you'll still be advised to... Uh, avoid unnecessary journeys like we are now but up to four people who are not living in the same household will be able to meet outdoors while maintaining physical distancing. Uh, there will also be a phased return of outdoor work and this includes construction workers. Also retailers like garden centres and hardware stores people will be delighted to hear can finally reopen again. And for, for those small groups of people should that still be within your area and do we have an idea of like is that still within the 5k or do we know that detail yet? Yeah, it, it seems to me they, they don't really want to be too specific about that stuff yet. I think that they'll probably give more detail right before, maybe even the day before each phase kicks in because they don't want people to start doing it early. Um, but but as what we know now is that the, the five kilometre distance is still going to be in place from the 18th of May. Um, so it, it may well be that you'll only be allowed within the five kilometres to see other people. And what about the, the next milestone then, which is the 8th of June? The 8th of June, that's when phase two is supposed to kick in. Again, bear in mind, this could change. Uh, but, but if everyone... 
goes to plan. The distance that you can travel outside your home will be increased to 20 kilometres. Uh, visits to over 70s by a small group for a short period will be OK again, but you'll have to wear gloves and face coverings. And then small retail outlets will be able to reopen if they can control the number of staff and customers that interact at any given time. So that's just some of the things that people could look forward to if, if everything goes to plan and phase two kicks in. And again, obviously not back to how we used to do things if, you know, shops still have to count the number of people going in, etc. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, people are going to have to get used to that for, for a long time, even when bigger shops open. Uh, I mean, people are, are presumably used to it with the supermarkets that you might have to queue up. And then when you go in, you have to keep your distance from people. Much smaller number of people are allowed. And then again, when you're queuing, you have to keep your distance from people. That's likely to be something that's with us for a long time, even when bigger department stores, shopping centres reopen later on. So phase three then, what happens during phase three and when does that hit? Phase three is supposed to kick in from the 29th of June. And this is when creches, childminders and preschools for children only of essential workers will reopen. So everyone else will still have their children at home. Uh, and even those that are allowed to reopen, they'll have to have physical distancing in place, um, which I imagine is going to be quite difficult in, in crashes. Um, also a noteworthy one here, the reopening of cafes and restaurants that provide uh, on-premises food and drinks. And again, that's only a physical distancing can be maintained. So not a return to normal with cafes and restaurants, but people will be able to go and, and will be, uh, if the cafes and restaurants can spread people out, then people will be able to go in and socialize. Moving on to phase four and things starting to hopefully get back to normal, what will we see and when will we see it? So phase four starts on the 20th of July, again, if everything goes to plan. This will mean slightly larger groups of people will be able to visit one another uh, while maintaining social distancing again. Uh, there'll be uh, small social gatherings allowed, such as weddings and baptisms in small numbers. And they haven't, this is a cause of frustration for people, I know they haven't uh, specified what they mean by small weddings or baptisms. That detail will come at a later date. Uh, there'll be a loosening of restrictions on retail services, such as hairdressers. That's a big one people are interested in, I know. Uh, and then some cultural and tourism facilities will open, like museums, hotels and holiday parks, but on a limited occupancy basis. And these can happen earlier if things go really well. So it's not just that this is the the first date that they can happen. These are flexible both ways, correct? Yeah, that's right. So it could be that we see uh, cafes and restaurants opening a bit earlier or we could see tourism facilities, things like that. Um, you know, hairdressers, that kind of stuff could could be sooner. Uh, and also they could mix and match some of the things in the different phases depending on how things go and also looking at the way things are working in other countries this is a, a movable document we could you know progress very well we could start to open things back up and not see a resurgence of the disease in the community and if that happens they might let us do things more quickly but like you said, we could also move backwards. And that's something that they've stressed as well, that if, if people don't follow the restrictions that are currently in place, we could actually have them in place for a lot longer. So then phase five, it's the last phase that's mentioned in this document. It's the date is the 10th of August. What's kind of left until those last uh, moments? Right. So we're looking then at, you know, shopping centres, uh, big shopping centres will be able to open things like theatres the kind of places that you would have a lot of people in one place and yes pubs bars and nightclubs uh, where where social distancing can be maintained so even at this stage you know people are, are being advised to physically distance from others and this will count in the other uh, the other businesses I mentioned shopping centers theaters cinemas gyms 
those places, pubs and bars, and they'll all have to work out how they can make that model work for them. So it's obviously for those businesses and, and business people who are in that last cohort, it probably really wasn't nice reading um, on, on the Friday evening it was announced and publicans in particular weren't happy. Um, what did they come out and say? Well, as you heard just from that list of key dates, the cafes and restaurants, which will be serving both food and alcohol, if everything goes to plan, they'll be able to open two phases earlier than the pubs will from the 29th of June. The pubs would have to wait until the 10th of August for that move. So uh, this week, the, the two groups representing publicans, the Licensed Vintners Association and Vintners Federation of Ireland, they proposed their own plan, which would allow them to reopen at the same time as the cafes and restaurants in phase three. And this includes uh, no more than four people would be allowed for every 10 square metres with only six at a table. There'd be no more going to the bar or even standing at it or sitting at it with your drink. It would be table service only. Uh, things like live music and DJs wouldn't be allowed and there'd be possible limits on the number of people using toilets at, at the same time. That's the one that gives me anxiety when I think about the queues for the ladies that are already uh, in most pubs when they're busy. Um, and then of course customers would be required to use hand sanitizer when they come in. Staff would have stricter hand washing uh, regimes in place every 30 minutes. Yeah, I remember one of those the last evening I had in a pub before this all happened and someone in my group saying the men in the bathroom were not good at the old hand washing. And that was when we were being told to be good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something that's kind of difficult to police and something that they, the government and health officials have said all along is that when people are, are drinking, when they're out socialising and there's alcohol involved, they're a lot more likely to forget to do those types of things. So that's something that's going to be taken in consideration. And that's one of the reasons why pubs are last on the list. So what has the response been? Obviously, there you, you mentioned there's two groups and um, they're an effective lobby uh, group groups yeah. usually. And um, what has the government response to their measures or their proposed measures been? I mean, there hasn't been necessarily strong pushback to it. I think uh, the government wants to present itself as being open for discussion on these things. Health Minister Simon Harris said he's open to talking to publicans about an earlier reopening. And he said it's possible that they might be able to open like restaurants. Some pubs are already serving food. And if they can operate as a restaurant, then it might work OK that way. But he also pointed out that while some might be quieter pubs with not that many people in them, usually there are many that are generally packed and they might actually rely on being packed for it to be worth opening in the first place so it just may not be possible for some he said also that he can't see how they could safely physically distance and this has been echoed by dr tony houlihan he said by their very nature pubs are places where people are close together there's physical contact people have a few drinks they're hugging each other etc and um, you know with a few drinks on board like i said you're more likely to be lax with physical distancing and washing your hands you know he said yesterday uh, similar things about weddings it's hard to see how you could have say 100 plus people at a wedding drinking and celebrating the big day without physical distance and going completely out the window you mentioned michelle that we're uh, a little like we're we're looking at other countries because they're opening up before uh, we are um what are they doing about the pub question and the alcohol question yeah so just to give you a few examples in, in spain they'll be allowing bar terraces to operate at 50% capacity from the 11th of May, which is quite soon now. And that's their phase one. So that's quite early in, in their you know, rolling back of, of the restrictions. They'll also be allowing table service inside uh, places at the end of May at 30% capacity. And then in mid-June, 30% capacity for bars and nightclubs. I suppose with Spain, you know, it's good to remember that 
bar terraces are are very widespread, you know, outdoor um, venues, restaurants and bars. That is kind of the norm in Spain, particularly in the summer. So it's probably easier for them to do that there than it is here. Uh, then in France, the government decided it will decide at the end of May on, on what they're doing. So we'll have to wait and see. In Italy, at the moment, bars and restaurants are allowed to open, but only offering a takeaway service. And that's something that's already allowed here. As you mentioned yourself, a lot of the, the businesses, the food businesses in particular, have been quite innovative. And they really got out there early with um, you know offering delivery and collection. So uh, we already have that in place in Italy. Bars and restaurants and also hairdressers should be fully reopened uh, by the 1st of June. And that's with social distancing, I presume? Yeah, it, that would be with social distancing. I mean, it, social distancing, physical distancing, that's going to be with us for quite a long time beyond this. It, it's hard to to see how without a vaccine uh, and without a total eradication of the disease that we would not have that in place in some way. Yeah, it's kind of hard to remember that no matter how many times you've told me during this podcast, I always, I, I somehow managed to forget it. I think I'm going to be so excitable when I next. <laughs> you have to keep your hands for, to yourself until told otherwise, Sinead. <laughs> I promise, Michelle. Uh, we said that this, these dates are movable. Do we have any kind of idea of what the government uh, is saying about those key dates? Like, are they giving us any clues about how movable they actually are? Yeah, the, the Taoiseach has, has warned that there's always a risk that we could regress in the fight against the virus. And this means as we're stepping through the roadmap, if the spread of the disease starts to go in a direction that worries the public health officials, we might have to take a step backwards. We, equally, he said that some of the phases could be brought forward, as I mentioned already, if the progress is made faster than expected. Now, because he said he doesn't want to see us going backwards, um, that's not something that would be good for the country's morale. It would obviously not be good for the economy. Um, he said that's why we've decided to go a bit slower than some other countries so that we can kind of keep ahead of things and also see how other countries are doing. So we want to kind of learn from other places and then do it ourselves. Yeah, that's right. And there's also a number of things that they'll be looking at. I mean, there'll be a review um, before they move on to, to each phase at the end of, of the previous phase. And they'll be looking at what they're calling a trigger criteria. There's five of those. Uh, and this includes the latest uh, data on the progression of the disease. So that's the figures that we hear each evening with the new confirmed cases and the clusters of infection and so on. The second thing would be the capacity in the hospitals and the ICU occupancy. The new cases admitted to the ICU, uh, that, that number has been dropping. And the CMO said yesterday, um, I, I think he said that Monday there were no new admissions. It was one of the days over the weekend. Um, we'll also be looking at sampling, testing and contact tracing capacity. We've seen what can happen when one of the steps in this process breaks down. It means that we're getting the data much later on the progression of the disease and it's not really useful anymore if you're getting it late. The fourth thing would be the ability to shield at-risk groups. Again, we saw what happened when the disease got into nursing homes uh, and there were multiple clusters and that's something that they're still dealing with at the moment. And then the fifth thing, uh, which is interesting, is that there'll be um, an assessment of the, the risk of secondary morbidity and mortality as a consequence of the restrictions. So people may have heard the repeated reminders from the health officials and also government ministers that GPs and hospitals are still open for business and that if you have a concern about your health that's not related to COVID-19 that you should still uh, contact your GP that you should still go to the emergency department if it's serious they're worried that they're not seeing as many people presenting with uh, stroke or heart attack symptoms or that people are coming into them too late when they experience them so if they think that that's becoming more of a problem because of the restrictions that are in place that will also be a consideration. So you say if they see that more people are dying from non-COVID things, that's a bad consequence of the restrictions. So they, they, they have to take that into consideration. 
that's it. And especially if we're in a situation where um, more people are, are dying of stroke and heart attack and they're not coming to the hospitals. And at the same time, the rate of infection uh, of COVID-19 is going down. That would be something that would be a big consideration then. And there's been a lot of talk about who's making the decisions. So um, the process is we know now that NEFET makes recommendations to the government and the government um, generally accepts them and then makes the decisions and, and gives us the, the announcement um, either on television or that's usually what it's been. Um, if there is a disagreement or if the government believes that they want to do it in a different way to the recommendations, um, can they do that? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is yes. Um, people have probably seen there have been reports in recent days about apparent tensions between the CMO and ministers. Yesterday, the Irish Independent reported that uh, the National Public Health Emergency Team had included a mention of cocooning in the phase five section of their document. But the final government document removed that mention of cocooning in phase five. Now, because we're not close to that phase, we can't really say which way the government will go on that. Um, you know, if if NEFIT decides at that time to continue to recommend cocooning, it may well be that the government will will follow that advice and will recommend that at that stage. Maybe they just didn't want it in the document because they didn't want to dash people's hopes about what may, may be to come. When asked about it yesterday, Dr. Hulan denied any report attentions and he said that despite suggestions by some, he doesn't make the decisions on restrictions, he just provides advice to the government and that's solely on public health grounds. And he made a point of saying that the government has other considerations like the country's economy uh, and that their decisions may not solely be based on public health advice as we move forward. So it may be that the advice they're given does differ to the decisions that they make going forward and there's an acknowledgement of that. Um, in terms of comparing ourselves to other countries, um, is this roadmap on par with other places? Is it conservative um, or is there a way that we can even tell? I think it is quite difficult to judge different countries because obviously, um, you know, there are different systems in place, different healthcare systems, the education sector moves differently. We heard this week um, that New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern made reference to Ireland. She pointed out that our stepping down is taking us through to July before some people are back to work. And in New Zealand, their roadmap is progressing much more quickly. They have some children back to school even at this point. But that's because they've managed to contain the spread of the disease so well. Their numbers are much smaller than ours, fewer than 1,500 confirmed cases and just 21 deaths in total. And in Ireland, at the time of recording today, we're at more than 1,300 deaths since the start of the outbreak and almost 22,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19. So we're in a very different place to them. New Zealand's also a very different country to Ireland. And if we want to look at some of the European countries in Italy, they have four phases, uh, like I mentioned earlier, with the restaurants and bars reopening for takeaway only in the first one, which is something that we've had, you know, all, all the way through. Um, so you could argue that theirs was more, more conservative than ours was. Now, obviously, they had a much bigger outbreak than we did also. Um, in France, there's much more happening in their phase one. Creches and primary schools are reopening from the 11th of May, also small museums, um, freedom to travel both domestically and internationally, and gatherings of up to 10 people will also be allowed. Uh, also, their secondary schools will reopen on uh, the 18th of May with a maximum of 15 in each class, whereas in Ireland, our schools aren't going to reopen until September now. To me, Michelle, that sounds mostly different because um, there's a lot more things happening all at once, like the changes are are coming more thick and fast there. Um, what we've been hearing a lot about is we're not doing that because of a concern of a second wave. Um, is that the same in other places or why is there that difference 
I mean, it's hard to know why different world leaders are deciding to go in different directions. What we heard from the Taoiseach on Friday was that he doesn't want to do a step backwards. Um, that's not the way they want to go. So it seems that they want to sort of test the waters. And that might explain why the, the first phase in particular is quite conservative compared to some other countries like France, for example. Um, it, it means that they'll be able to see how things are progressing. If there's no resurgence of infection at that stage, they may be able to move a little bit more quickly. But I, I think they just sort of want to see how they go. Also, we've only this week broadened out the testing criteria again, which opens it back up basically to the general population before this week. It was only uh, priority groups, such as those in vulnerable groups and healthcare workers who were presenting with the symptoms of COVID-19 who would be tested. And that's quite a narrow group when you think about, you know, countrywide population. So we'll have to see how the testing capacity can cope with that over the next couple of weeks now that we've opened it back up. And see how much of the, the virus is actually in the community, I guess, then as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the thing is, it does also give us time to see how it works for those other countries uh, who are, you know, letting children back into school earlier than others, um, who are letting people get back to work and, and letting people travel around. You know, we've heard regularly from the CMO um, that, you know, he's keen to, to see how that goes. But equally, our health system, our culture, our economy, education and childcare sectors, there are big differences between the way it works here and in other countries, for example, in, in New Zealand, it's probably not comparable. So that, I mean, that means that even when we see how it works in other countries, it doesn't follow that we'll definitely do what they did. I think it's important that people don't become too attached to any of the details in the roadmap at the moment, especially in those later phases, because nothing is set in stone at the moment. People need to bear that in mind. Yeah, so the, those dates for getting a haircut and getting a pint may change for the better, or they may be even later than we now anticipate they could be I mean, I mean we could be optimistic about it but i also wouldn't put you know any specific dates in pen in your diaries at the moment when it comes to planning a haircut or you know, some kind of social event but at the moment haircuts are in what phase just to re recap right so for the moment it won't be until phase four that you can actually get into a hairdresser's which will be after the cafes and restaurants open so you'll still have to take care of your own grooming if you're going to to meet up with friends in a restaurant before that and how about that all-important drink in a pub um that's that's phase five obviously that's phase five so at the moment unless things change and the government is, is open to the proposals put forward by the public in it, it'll be the very last thing that we'll be able to, to start doing again. That'll be bars, pubs and nightclubs. What pub are you most looking forward to having a pint in? God, do I have to pick one? Um, I would say either the Long Hall or the Swan for after work drinks. That's where we usually go. So it would be one of those places. Or if I was going local in Rathmines, it would be Mother Riley's. I like the way you give both there, just in case either of them are listening. <laughs> Like, I just want to get into any place where I can see my friends face to face. I would drink a pint in a dirty shed if I could just sit across from a friend. Yeah, that's that's about where I am. Um, I'm looking forward to having a drink uh, in my local GA club when we're allowed back. So that's my choice. Right. Well, thank you, Michelle, for bringing us through that. I think there is um, some optimism there, but obviously a lot of uh, some cautious optimism. I think we'll leave it on. Uh, thanks very much. And hopefully I'll see you in a pub and not a shed sometime soon. Wait. <laughs> thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Michelle for joining us and bringing us through that roadmap. 
If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal in the past few weeks for you to support our journalism. It's a difficult time for media as advertising revenues have fallen drastically, but we are and want to keep providing you and the rest of our 830,000 daily users with valuable, accessible journalism. If you feel it's important for society to have that open access to news and good information like this podcast, please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you are enjoying the episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time. Thank you.